Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I am thrilled that you're tuned back in. Thanks so much for listening. Well, today I wanted to kind of step back and talk about the 10 things that you don't do in apologetics. So these are the 10 big don'ts of apologetics. But in case you're wondering how the workshop went, it went great. I'd been letting you know that a workshop was coming, the best facts workshop. I had told you about the best facts and all that sort of good stuff. Well, the workshop was wonderful. Thanks for asking. I know that it will uh, really, really continue to bear lots of fruit in the lives of the people that were there. And if you miss the best facts, don't worry. There are more of those workshops coming. You can also get the workbook on Amazon right now. Just go to Amazon.com and check out The Best Facts. All right. Well, we have another workshop planned for March. That's kind of tentative right now, but that'll be here in Albuquerque, Lord willing. So definitely be ready to uh, attend that one if you missed the last one. You can go to TheBestFacts.com. Again, that's TheBestFacts.com, and we'll have everything there for you. We'll have all the MP3s from this past conference. We'll be having info about future conferences. You can get a link there to the workbook and all that. So anyway, it was a great workshop. I wish you would have been there. If you were there, I'm so glad that you came. And uh, today we're going to kind of jump into a broader kind of overview of apologetics, and we're going to talk about the 10 things you don't do in apologetics, because apologetics can be done poorly. I spoke the first night of the conference on basically an introduction to apologetics, but I talked about three things. Number one, dealing with your own doubt. Number two, defending your faith. And number three, doing it well. And it's that doing it well that I think a lot of times we can miss. So I wanted to kind of talk about 10 things not to do in apologetics. If you do these 10 things, you will not do apologetics very well. And so these are the 10 don'ts of apologetics. I'm going to run through them with you. And since it's only a 30-minute show, I'm going to go back and just spend a minute or two on each one. So the 10 don'ts about apologetics. Number one, don't panic. Number two, don't forget your context. Number three, don't be a jerk. Number four, don't repeat internet garbage. Number five, don't ask why are there monkeys still. I'll explain that one in a minute. Number six, don't mess up entropy. No pun intended. Number seven, don't get sidetracked by non-essentials. Number eight, don't belittle other believers over non-essentials. Number nine, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And number ten, don't lose your focus on Jesus. So let's go back to the first one, don't panic. I think a lot of times there's a tendency as Christians when we hear something to kind of freak out. And there are a lot of arguments out there that could make you freak out if you didn't have good answers for them. Well, I assure you there are good answers for any questions you're going to hear. But the thing you need to remember is don't panic. It's the number one don't of apologetics. When you're talking to skeptical friends and you hear something that maybe you'd never heard before, Don't freak out. Don't panic. Realize there are good answers to that very thing, as convincing as it might sound. 
and you just haven't heard the answers yet. So chill out, don't panic, realize that there are good answers, and be determined to find them. I want to make a side note there. Sometimes the answers will lie outside of your presuppositions. Be okay with that. Sometimes your presuppositions are standing between you and reality, between you and truth, between you and God. That goes for Christians as much as atheists. A lot of Christians have a whole list of presuppositions that they believe are biblical. In fact, they would almost die for those presuppositions, when in reality, a lot of those presuppositions aren't as biblical as they think, and they may stand between someone and Jesus. So don't panic. Don't freak out. There are good answers to your questions and to the questions that will come up as you engage people in apologetical conversations. Be ready to find the answers, and don't freak out when they challenge your presuppositions. All right, so number one, don't panic. Number two, don't forget your context. I mentioned a minute ago that apologetics happens in the context of dealing with our own doubt and defending our faith. Both of those things surface from 1 Peter 3.15, which says to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have to anyone that asks you. Well, you have to have hope to be able to defend that hope. So deal with your own doubt. Having doubt nagging at you will rob your hope. So the first thing I encourage you to do based on 1 Peter 3.15 is deal with your own doubt. That's half of the apologetical equation. It's being able to do the research and the studying that you need to do to get the answers that you need to deal with your own doubt. Um, a lot of your doubt's going to be intellectual. Those are questions that come up, and you need good answers for them. I might have mentioned it on the show last week, but recently, in many different news outlets, even a peer-reviewed journal like Science, we read that modern DNA analysis has disproved the Bible because modern DNA analysis found that the Canaanites are still alive in Lebanon, and the Bible said the Canaanites were wiped out. <laughs> well, unfortunately for those news sources, those fake news sources, the Bible never says the Canaanites were wiped out. Just read Judges. Just read Matthew 15, where Jesus interacts with a Canaanite woman. See, a lot of times we'll hear something like that news article, and we'll freak out, and we'll forget to deal with our own doubt. Well, as you deal with your intellectual doubt, you'll find answers to those honest questions. I just gave you the answer. The Bible never said that the Canaanites were wiped out. Well, persistent doubt after that becomes emotional doubt, and you need to continue to remind yourself of the truth as that emotional doubt nags. Now, the other half of the apologetical coin or the context for apologetics is defending your faith. Don't forget that. Apologetics isn't a, a skill in winning arguments. It is a resource for defending your faith so that others can find the same Savior that you've found. Don't forget that context. Don't forget that you are called to defend your hope in love, extending that hope to those around you. It's critical that we get that context right, and it ties directly to the third don't. The third don't is don't be a jerk. And it sounds crazy, but it's true. Kokel, who's been on the show numerous times, in his book Tactics, says, let it be your words that, that cause people trouble, not your actions, not your lifestyle. 
That's very important that maybe people can get mad at our arguments, but don't let them get mad at your behavior is what he's trying to say there. Don't be a jerk. We did a big debate on evolution at the Fort Lewis campus several years ago. And at the end of the debate, a lady walked up to me and said, you were brilliant tonight. I'd never heard the things that you said. You were absolutely brilliant in refuting evolution. And I started to think, well, that's kind of a great comment. And then she said, but nobody listened to you because you were a jerk. (laughs) I was torn to pieces. She said, you interrupted the atheist that you were debating several times while he was talking. And every time you interrupted him, you showed the whole audience that you were a jerk and nobody listened to what you had to say as good as it was. I never forgot those words, and I hope that you'll never make the mistake I made. Don't be a jerk. That is a big don't in apologetics. Don't be a jerk. Remember to love the people that you're sharing with. Engage them for Christ, not to win an argument. So don't be a jerk. All right, that leads to number four. Don't repeat internet garbage. I can't tell you the amount of internet garbage that I hear from Christians all the time. You know, the famous example is the chariot wheels that have been found in the Dead Sea, supposedly. This is complete garbage, right? There are not Egyptian chariot wheels in the Red Sea that, that are evidence of Pharaoh's army being destroyed. They don't exist. I know you've seen pictures, you've probably even seen videos on YouTube, but it's all garbage. What you have to do is have a critical thinking ability that helps you diagnose whether you're watching something that's garbage or whether you're getting something that actually is reasonable, that you could share with someone. Now, this is something that's come up. We had an astrophysicist on the show about a month or two ago to talk about it, but a lot of Christians are quite gullible. Please don't be gullible. One thing that a lot of Christians are are buying into right now is this ridiculous flat earth theory. It's absurd. It's crazy. And we had a Christian astrophysicist on the show to talk about that. But that's a perfect example of people that will see something or hear something on the internet and run with it. And in doing that, they act absolutely destroy their credibility with the world they're trying to reach with the gospel. So don't repeat internet garbage. In seminary, we were told, fine-tune your baloney detector. That's a great reminder for all Christians. Develop some critical thinking skills. Start to get familiar with what is true so that you'll be quick to spot things that are too fantastic to be true. Right? The evidence for our faith is strong enough. We don't need wild-eyed internet stories to make it stronger. So be really careful not to repeat internet garbage. That was the fourth don't. Let me go back over the first four don'ts. Number one, don't panic. Number two, don't forget your context. Number three, don't be a jerk. And number four, don't repeat internet garbage. Number five is don't ask, why are there still monkeys? Okay, I got to explain that one. But somebody asked me this question last week at our workshop, and I've heard it for many years. I kind of figured Christians had stopped asking the question, but it's not true. They still ask it. A lot of people say this. If evolution is true, and if people evolved from apes, why are there still monkeys? Okay, well, first of all, it's the most ignorant statement you could ever hear. Don't ever ask, why are there still monkeys? It's absolute ignorance. 
first of all, the theory of evolution, which I believe is wrong, just got to preface this by saying that, believes that humans and chimps evolved from a common ancestor that no longer exists. So first off, when people say, why are there still monkeys? They betray their ignorance of evolution. They don't even understand that the supposed common ancestor isn't just all monkeys in general, and they don't even understand that that supposed common ancestor is not in existence by everyone's estimation. Okay? Additionally, they fail to realize that the theory of evolution asserts that a, a group of a population can evolve alongside its parent group. The parent group doesn't have to disappear for the new group to survive. When Christians ask this, they betray an absolute ignorance of the theory of evolution and they destroy their credibility for rejecting evolution. Because the second they say it, they've just proven to everyone that they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Now, I believe evolution is wrong because the transitionary evidence is lacking. The apparatus or the mechanism of natural selection based on positive mutations that increase genetic information is invalid. I believe evolution is wrong because life does not come from non-life. The statistics are unfathomable. Okay, I believe that evolution is wrong because the existence of information and design is naturalistically inexplicable, and so is the start of the universe. Those five things prove to me that there had to be a creator. All that being said, don't betray an ignorance of the subject by asking, where are the monkeys? So number five, don't ask, why are there still monkeys if evolution is true? Okay, the next one, I kind of want to get really clear. And that is number six, don't mess up entropy. Now, just like a lot of Christians ask, if evolution is true, why are there still monkeys? And it betrays an ignorance of the subject, and it destroys their credibility for talking about creation and evolution. A lot of them do the same thing with entropy. They try to sound scientific, and they say, well, if entropy is true, why do we see evolution happening on Earth? Of course, we don't see evolution happening on Earth, but the, the general concept is how could biological systems get more ordered and more complex if everything is trending towards disorder? That's what they try to ask about the Earth. So the, the idea is, if entropy is true, then how could evolution happen? Now, of course, this betrays an absolute ignorance of science, entropy, and evolution again. First of all, the concept of evolution, if you've ever taken chemistry, applies to the universe as a whole, not to one little part of the universe. Okay, when, when a Christian says, if evolution is true, what about entropy? When they say this, that's like saying, if your room is clean, doesn't that defy entropy? Because if entropy is happening, shouldn't your room always be getting worse and worse? Well, the fact is, is your room has an outside influence that brings order. Whereas in the universe as a whole, things trend towards disorder. All right? So here's the deal. Entropy is universal, but it does not necessarily apply to a nook or cranny of the universe. Okay? So a room can become more ordered. That doesn't defy entropy, and entropy doesn't demand that your room always go to increasing disorder. What we do know is that across the universe as a whole, entropy is always increasing with every single elemental 
atomic molecular interaction. Entropy is increasing always. Now, don't mess that up. So for the Christian, don't say, well, if entropy is true, how could there be evolution? It betrays an ignorance of both entropy and evolution. Okay? Again, I am not an evolutionist. I think evolution is false. I just don't think entropy is the way to address evolution. There are better ways to address evolution. I just did it, and the last don't. All right? Now, the reason we don't want to mess up entropy is because it is not a valid argument against evolution. It is, however, a very strong argument in favor of a creator. Here's why. Entropy, or disorder, is always increasing. And the fact that there is any order anywhere in the universe as a whole implies that the universe is finite. It has not been here for all of eternity. It is not eternal. If the universe is finite, then it began to exist. And if it began to exist, it had to have a cause greater than itself. A self-existent, timeless, powerful, personal, intelligent cause. All those attributes of the biblical view of God. So entropy, if it's understood correctly, points us towards the biblical view of God because it tells us that this universe is not eternal and that it had to have an all-powerful cause outside of itself. So the big don't, number six here, is don't mess up entropy. Don't try to use entropy as an argument against evolution because the evolutionists will simply tell you, well, entropy applies to closed systems, not open systems, and the Earth is an open system, so you lose. Don't go that route. But do use entropy as an example of why the universe is not eternal, because that really does point to a creator of the universe. Okay, so number six, don't mess up entropy. Number seven, don't get sidetracked by non-essentials. Please, guys. There are things that are not essential to our faith. If you want to know what's essential to Christian faith, go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It tells us real clearly there that, that salvation is based on faith, not based on works. Go, go to Romans 10, 9 and read that salvation has a lot to do with confessing Christ as Lord and believing that God rose him from the dead. So at the end of the day, Christian salvation really rests on a few simple things. Remember what we're told in Acts. Believe in the Lord and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, So Christian faith really rests on a few things. It, it, it rests on believing in Jesus alone and believing in him as a risen Lord that died for our sins and rose again. It's real simple. We believe in him as the only way, truth, and life. That right there in its core is the foundation of Christianity. Now, there are a whole lot of non-essentials, all right? And Christians are famous for getting sidetracked by those non-essentials. Let me just tell you one, and I'm not even going to argue for one side or the other, but this always comes up in apologetical conversations. You remember the debate with Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill Nye was smart enough to sidetrack Ken Ham with a simple question about the age of the earth. And that got him running on this side issue that's non-essential, okay? And what happened as a consequence is that a great opportunity to defend the Christian faith and the coherence of the Christian worldview was missed because of a non-essential issue. Whatever your opinion on that issue or a host of other non-essentials, I beg you, don't get sidetracked by them.
please don't get sidetracked by them. The evidence for the resurrection is irrefutable. So, so stay focused on that major issue. That is a core tenet of our belief. That is core to our salvation. Remember what we're told in Romans 10.9. Remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. That is essential. So, so focus there. Don't get sidetracked into other issues. Okay, number eight kind of follows from number seven, and that's don't belittle other believers over non-essentials. All right? So Christians, again, are famous for bringing up non-essentials and apologetical conversations and then following them headlong without regard for where they may lead. They're also famous for beating each other up over non-essentials. I mean, the, the, the ongoing debate between uh, the, the young earthers and the old earthers is absolute evidence of this. Guys, it is absolutely time to stop beating each other up over non-essentials and start getting our focus on the big picture, Jesus, not the non-essential side issues. Those side issues are fine to discuss in-house. They are fine to have debates with each other on in-house, but they are wrong to belittle each other over. I literally had someone in the town of Albuquerque, someone that, that is a pretty reputable scientist and a Christian, email me that he does not believe that Hugh Ross is even saved. I mean, this is shocking. And just because I've interviewed Hugh Ross, who is a wonderful apologist, I don't necessarily agree with every of his positions, just like I don't necessarily agree with anyone's positions 100% of the time. But I know him. I've talked to him both on and off the air. He is a wonderful man of God that loves God dearly. And just because his position differs from others on one side issue that's non-essential, people routinely tell him he's not saved. And I've had people in this town tell me that Hugh Ross is not saved. <laughs> I'm like, I've listened to the guy's testimony. I've put him on the spot. He's trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to forgive him of his sins, to save him from hell. And you don't think he's saved because he differs with you on a side issue that is a non-essential of Christian doctrine? And then they challenged me. What about you? <laughs> what about you? They, they tried to, to cast doubt on, on my salvation, I believe, at least in a questioning sense. And they don't even know where I stand on all these issues. What I want to encourage you with is don't belittle other believers over non-essentials. That's ridiculous. My pastor at Hoffmantown, I love him dearly, Pastor Eric Christensen, he always says, let's not break fellowship over this issue or that issue if they're not essential to Christian doctrine. And he speaks specifically of this issue when he talks like that. You guys, don't belittle other believers over non-essentials. There's a world watching that needs to see Jesus' disciples loving each other. So keep our eyes focused on him. Don't beat each other up over non-essentials. Okay, number nine, we're getting to the end of the list, is don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It seems like everybody is a world-class apologist. I have done enough apologetics to realize I'm not that sharp of an apologist. I'm always learning things. My co-host, Grant Brissett, he's often on the show. I promise you the guy's ten times smarter than me. Every time I hang out with him, I learn things I didn't know before. Okay? This last week at this conference, we had a world-class archaeologist. I promise you, three-fourths of what he said I had no clue of. 
And some of the things that I've repeated, he caught me on, and I was wrong in them. I'll just let you know right now that one of the greatest assets to you as an apologist, as you grow in apologetics, is a dose of humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The second you think you got all the answers figured out, that's the exact second when you failed as an apologist. Be humble as you approach reality, as you approach God's word, as you approach a skeptical world, and as you approach your brothers and sisters in Christ. Be humble and realize that you have a lot to learn. That humility will take you a long way as you do apologetics, as you deal with doubt, and as you defend your faith. Now, number 10, and this is the most important of all of them, is don't lose your focus on Jesus. Don't lose your focus on Jesus. I don't think it's any coincidence that the strongest evidence for anything in all of Christianity is the evidence for the resurrection. The evidence for the New Testament is strong, but the evidence for the resurrection is stronger. The evidence for the Old Testament is strong, but the evidence for the resurrection is stronger. The evidence for creation is strong, but the evidence for the resurrection is stronger. The evidence for all these different issues that we believe is strong, but the evidence for the resurrection is stronger. So don't lose your focus on Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith rests on the resurrection of Christ. If there were an essential issue, that is it. Don't get sidetracked from that essential issue. Don't lose your focus on Jesus. Learn to defend the evidence for the resurrection and to point people at the meaning of the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, what does that mean? It means there is a savior for you and me, the only person in human history that can actually back up their offer of eternal life. You got to remember, there are a lot of people that have promised eternal life, and they're all dead. The Egyptian pharaohs are dead. Mohammed is dead. Buddha is dead. You could go on and on and on and on, but they're all dead. And Jesus lives, and the evidence tells us that we can know that with confidence. That is where we need to keep our apologetics focused, on the resurrection and on the evidence for Jesus' victory over death. So don't lose your focus on Jesus. All right, I'm going to recap the top 10 don'ts of apologetics for you. Number one, don't panic. They're good answers. Don't panic. Number two, don't forget your context. Your context is dealing with your own doubt and defending your faith in love. Don't forget that context. Number three, don't be a jerk. Engage people with love and compassion and in a way that they are not going to be offended by your disposition or your behavior. Don't be a jerk. Number four, don't repeat internet garbage. Don't be gullible and fine-tune that baloney detector, as it's been said. Don't repeat internet garbage. Number five, don't ask why are there still monkeys if evolution is true. It betrays an ignorance of evolution and the evidence for creation. Just don't ask that question. Number six, don't mess up entropy. Entropy does not disprove evolution. Okay, I don't believe evolution, but entropy is not the way to disprove it. But entropy does tell us that the universe is not eternal and that it had to have a creator a finite time ago. So don't mess up entropy. Use it correctly. Number seven, don't get sidetracked by non-essentials like the age of the earth. Those are issues that can only sidetrack an apologetical evangelistic conversation. Number eight, don't belittle other believers over non-essentials. Love each other. Can't remember. Who was it that said love each other? Hmm. Oh, it was Jesus, our Savior, 
our Lord. Let's obey him and not belittle other believers over non-essentials. Number nine, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have a little humility in your apologetical conversations and pursuits. Be humble. Realize that you don't know all there is to know and be ready to learn what you need to learn. Finally, number 10, don't lose your focus on Jesus. And that's where I have to end every week. You know, the gospel is really true that you are a sinner that needs a savior and that God himself died on the cross for your sins. He paid your penalty so that if you believe in him, you can be saved. If you've never taken that step to believe in him as savior and Lord, do that right now, I beg you. You could even verbalize it in prayer saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Please be my Savior and Lord. If you took that step today, go to GodSolutionShow.com and use the contact form there to tell me about it. I'd love to encourage you in your walk with God. And while you're there, check out some of our past shows. Maybe even consider making a tax-deductible donation to keep the show on the air. You can also, again, go to TheBestFacts.com where we have our apologetical acronyms and workbook and so much more. Thank you so much for listening. It's such a pleasure to be with you week after week. I hope that you'll share this show with your friends and let them know that they could tune in also and be encouraged by the God Solution just like you're encouraged. Please share what you're hearing here with the people around you. They need this evidence. So share the evidence for your faith with those around you. And I got to plug it one more time. If you want to sharpen up on your evangelistic apologetical presentation, Go to thebestfacts.com and click the link at the top of the page to get the Best Facts workbook so you can sharpen up in your apologetics. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.